You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode 179 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And today we are brought to you by GameMat.eu. They're very nice people. Go buy things from them. Game mats and STL files and pre-painted resin terrain and all sorts of stuff. And from my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. And I always am grateful for your patronage. So today we have a little bit weird of an episode because we have a want that or want that not spurred on by a Tesseract email. So there's that. And then we have a real talk spurred on by a Tesseract email. So there's that. Um, and, uh, I'll just not be doing a Tesseract mailbox this week because I've got the other two things that are spurred off of a Tesseract mailbox. So the want that or want that not is starting out as an agonizer, want that or want that not for hordes. And then it turns out to just be a general want that or want that not for the privateer press line of hordes period. And just what I think of them, I scrolled through many, many, many pages of their product and just my gut reaction on their prices and the quality of the models and all of that. And if they're worth it, then the real talk with the Pemcron is a letter from Leroy Jenkins. And we're hoping that he's back on his meds. And he asks, he asks a lot of things, but (laughs) Among among all the things that he asks, he asks what the difference between a whack player and a skilled player are. Is someone you know like how do you how do you codify that? Like how do you determine because whack players can be skilled players and skilled players can be whack players, but they're not necessarily the same thing. I think we all kind of know a skilled player when we see them. Um, I actually have played Leroy Jenkins at Shorehammer, and I do know that he is a skilled player. Um, and I also know that the other Tesseract mailbox, multi-Shorehammer champion Andrew, is also an extremely skilled player. Both of these players I have great respect for. So they are among, are among, <laughs> they are among, huh? They are among some of the handful of people that I've met that truly are just skilled tacticians in the game. They can make good lists, and they can use them effectively. But, uh, that's what I cover in the real talk with the Pimp Crime. So, what have I been up to? Well, I just got back from playing a tournament up in New Jersey at our friend Ted's club. Got to see a bunch of my Shorehammer friends, uh, Kojo and John and Ted and Mike and Keith and a bunch of other people. I took my Crusher Stampede list. And I knew it had its limitations, but I was hoping that I could do something with it. And this was an example of kind of the rock, paper, scissors of this edition, because I ended up with uh, one and two was my score. So I won one, I lost two. And the first game I played actually happened to be against who would end up being the champion of the whole tournament. And his list was the exact counter to my list, which really sucked. Um, it kind of gave me the feel bads a little bit. It's not his fault, but it's just the way the game goes. It depends on who you fight. He was playing a Thousand Suns uh, foot slogging list. He had Rubric Terminators, and he had three big blobs of Rubric Marines and two Sorcerers. And that's basically his whole list. And the uh, set of Cultists. And I took seven Carnifexes, an Exocrine, a Tyrannifex, and a Neurothrope. And 
the problem was is that my Crusher Stampede, if you don't know, gives all my big bugs a five up pinball, which is fantastic. All of my Carnifexes had minus one to be hit because of spore cysts, which is nice. And all my monsters have minus one damage, which is also nice. Crusher Stampede also comes with several nice stratagems, so that was helpful. But the problem is, is that his list did a bunch of mortal wounds. Remember Thousand Suns, every single unit does mortals, and he can even bump that up with one of his Cabal points and make it D3 more mortals. So I was getting smited constantly, and I have no protection against smites, so they're just going straight through. So my invulnerable save did not help me one bit. And he didn't have anything that was more than one damage. So all of my damage reduced by one did not help me at all. Now the minus one to hit is like, okay, because that's against ranged attacks, but he had a bunch of bolters, but all of his bolters are AP two. So that's, that's a problem because my invulnerable save is a five up and my save is a three. So when you give me AP two, my invul is not helping me anyway. I would already have a five up. So his list come to find out was the perfect counter to mine. And he beat me like 70 to 30 or something. It was, it was a rough, it was a rough game for me, but it was the perfect. Um, oh, of course he took the cabal of the time or whatever, so he can heal people and bring back terminators. It did not help me that my Tyrann effects in five game turns never killed a single model. He shot twice all game and my rolls were atrocious. Matter of fact, in the first game turn, I had five charges and none of them were more than eight. I think most of them were like in the six or seven range because I had plus one to charge. So I made five charges and even re-rolled one and lost and failed all five charges, which was a pretty big deal. Uh, that was unfortunate for me. So he, he stomped me pretty hard. My second game was an extremely fun game. It was me versus Custodes. All he had was a huge group of jet bikes. And then he had a bunch of Terminators and a bunch of characters and one character on a jet bike. So that was his whole list. And we just punched each other in the dick for two hours is what we did. Um, he had one, he had like four models left on the board at the end of the game. And I had two or three. I think I had two models and he had four. Um, the problem is, is that the Carnifex has actually did quite a bit of work killing Custodes. Even with his four-up invul and all of that, my Carnifex has actually did pretty well. And I was able to use all of my faction abilities against him because my five-up invul, a lot of times he would be doing minus three or minus four or whatever to my save. So the five-up invul did help. And all of this stuff is two damage, which I was able to reduce, and that helped me stay alive. If I did not have that re damage reduction, I definitely would have been completely wiped off the board, and he would have decisively won. Come to find out, he still did decisively win. I could not hold objectives because all of his troops, including his HQs, were objective secured. So that was kind of a problem. Um, so we ground each other down, but he was able to do... I think it was 60 to 30 or something like that. He didn't score super high, and I did not score very high. Actually, it was 60 to 40, I think. 60 to 40. And um, so I did slightly better than the first game, but not much. But the difference was is that my second player was super friendly, and we had a great time, and occasionally he'd forget something, I'd let him redo it, and I'd forget something, he'd let me redo it. It was just, 
it was a very, very fun match, and we just punched each other in the deck. So that was that was good. It was a fairly low-scoring game, as you can see. Um, he ended up um, with like 60 points or something like that. He ended up actually being second place in the tournament. So my first game was against the champion, ultimately, and my second game was against the second place person. So that was that was pretty nuts. But at least I got to use my chapter stuff, so that was good. Um, then I got my third game, and my third game, I won 60, 65 to 50. So it was a closer game, but I did win. And uh, I I played pretty well. I mean, uh, the uh, he had some difficult terrain that he deployed badly behind. So that kept him... He was playing uh, Black Templar, and he had... Uh, what are they? Sword Brethren or whatever? Basically, his special melee unit, whatever it was, um, he he was very much slowed down through that because he decided not to go around it. He went through it. So he didn't even get to me in melee until third turn. My Carnifexes, in the meantime, had killed his Eradicators, and we were... It's one of those games where I started off super strong. I was getting 15 plus 6 points for the first turn, and then 15 plus 6 turn, points for the second turn. And he scored practically nothing in the first and second turn. But then once he got to me, he was able to pick off Carnifex after Carnifex after Carnifex. So my graph of points started as a huge spike. And then it just tapered off as the game went on. His started off with nothing and then ramped up towards the end of the game. So um, there was he didn't score, I don't think, any points in the, in the first or second turn. And I was already scoring points so uh, but that was a really fun game he took a bunch of infantry and my carnifexes really did put in work uh he really didn't have anything that my damage reduction helped and he didn't have much that my invul helped so that was also once again not super helpful but i was able to play pretty well in that one the way the terrain was and everything i was able to tactically you know run around and do stuff uh for one thing my um Carnifex charged his eradicators, killed his eradicators, and I had a stratagem that instead of consolidating, I could move in advance. So that's what I did, of course. So I ran up, killed his eradicators, and then moved back seven plus a run, and the runs got plus one. I moved back like 12 inches or something. And uh, that helped pull his other forces forward. But if we would have had another turn or two, I would have been tabled. He had three quarters of his sword brethren left, and he had Helbrecht, who was wounded. And then he had Grimaldus in the background that was not hurt at all. So, in the meantime, I had one Carnifex, an Exocrine, and the, the Tranifex left. So, I'm pretty sure that he was closing in on me. I think I would have been tabled in a turn or probably two turns. I would have been tabled. So, anyway, once again, my Exocrine did about jack all. And so did my Tranifex. So I truly, on paper, both of those units look really good. But I didn't face any vehicles where my Tranifex was good at all with the Rupture Cannon. Like, he was, his strength 10, 6 shots when he shoots twice. Uh, that was completely wasted on all three games. Because not a single one of them even brought a vehicle. So that kind of sucked. And the uh, Exocrine and the... I just, I had a hard time doing anything. The Tranifex and the Exocrine did not do a single slain model in the first turn of all three of my games. 
all three of my games, neither one of these 36-inch and 48-inch weapons did anything. And that is kind of... That's kind of rough. I mean, it's not because I, I positioned them badly. I mean, I just was rolling garbage. So, oh, you know, one last thing. It was pretty funny. The last game against the Black Templars, I took the Psychic Interrogation because I had the Neurothrope and it's an easy 3 CP and then 4 CP and then 5 CP. I mean, uh, victory points. So it's easy to score victory points. And I did not realize he took an artifact that allows him to deny. So I'm like, whatever. I get plus one to cast. Well, he also gets plus one to deny. So the first turn, I do Psychic Interrogation for an easy three victory points, and he denies it. I'm like, okay. Second turn, I do it again, and he denies it. Third turn, I do it again, and I roll an 11, and he rolls a 12 to deny it. And the fourth turn... (laughs) Actually, the Neurothrip did last the whole game, so he was also one of my remaining models. But um, he, he denied my psychic attempts all five turns that would have been 12 victory points had I done it three times and that would have probably helped my ranking I ended up being 17th out of 22 so that's not great I was what the sixth place from the last that's it's pretty rough um but like I said that first that first matchup was terrible for me absolutely horrible and then the second one was just a lot of fun, but it still wasn't that great of a matchup. And then the third one was a pretty good matchup. So, anyway. All right, well, that's basically it. Um, I had a ton of fun. Me and James went up there and uh, had fun with friends and got to eat out and all that. It was just a lot of fun. So, anyway, I'm going to stop rambling on. Let's get on with the rest of the show. And uh, thanks for listening. Want that or want that not? This is Want That or Want That Not, and today we are spurred into reviewing a model that is not GW from an email that we got from multi-Shorehammer champion uh, Andrew, and he writes in, In response to your missing article, while Games Workshop might be shying away from true young generation, uh, the true young generation, Privateer Press not only includes a toddler model to hit the demographic, They went two steps beyond that. What's better than a human toddler? A baby elephant toddler that has four arms. What's better than that? How about a screaming, tortured baby elephant toddler whose screams of pain are so horrific they weaken the enemies around it? Go look for the Agonizer model. They even made a plushie, Andrew. By the way, now I will have to have mine painted up for brutality. (laughs) Thank you for writing in, Andrew. And, um, well, I looked it up. So you said to look it up, and I looked it up. I'm not familiar with Privateer Press models. So I looked it up, and it's part of the Hordes line for Privateer Press, and it's $11.99 for this model. Um, I don't know that that's a great price, but it doesn't seem like a horrible price. I don't know what it does in the game. You already said that it screams and it and it hurts people nearby. That's interesting. Um, this looks like it's on a, tw- uh, it's on a 30 millimeter base. So this little... Baby, he called it an elephant. It is gray. It does have elephant feet. And you really could call it an elephant if they cut the trunk off and they cut the big floppy ears off. And it stood on two legs. So it's a weird... It does. I definitely do see the resemblance of an elephant here. Um, And it's looking up like it's in great pain. And it's got all these things stabbed into it. 
it's got like sharp pieces of metal stuck into its skin and its mouth is open like in a I suppose a scream, but it looks more like a, a moan or a loud yell. And um, he definitely does look like in, he's in pain. Some of these things stuck in his skin are like weeping, like slight blood. And uh, it's an interesting model. I mean, a lot of times how I rank these models is if it's interesting. Is it? And really, that's what we mean when we say cool, right? If the model's like, oh, that looks cool. What you're really saying is it looks interesting and unique and it's something fresh. It's a new idea. So as far as this goes, according to me, not being a Privateer Press player or a Hordes player, um, Hordes players may look at this and go, ah, it's fine because they're used to it. But me coming from the outside, I look at this and I'm like, wow, this is a pretty neat, pretty neat uh, model. And it's got some character. It's telling a story. He's tortured. He walks around screaming. I don't know what part of army he's what army he's part of or anything like that. But just judging by this model, it's eleven ninety nine. Of course, I know nothing about its rules. Uh, you know, I've bought worse models for more money. <laughs> so, obviously, I don't play hordes, but Andrew has the right idea. I think I could see myself buying this and putting this into Brutality Army. Brutality, a lot of times, has some dark themes to it, torture and things like that. And this fits perfectly into that. I do think it's a really well-sculpted model. It tells a story, and it's macabre, and I like all of those things. So, I would claim that this is a want-that for the Agonizer model. It's Agonizer Scorn Solo, whatever that means. Uh, maybe you Privateer Press players would know, if I even have any listeners that play Privateer Press. But uh, I do like the model overall. So thank you for suggesting that, Andrew. And uh, I did not see the other baby elephant toddler with four arms. I did not see that. Um, I'm going to have to search around a little bit more on the website. But I find the Privateer Press website to not really be the best as far as finding stuff. All right, I stopped recording for a minute so I could find these models. I cannot actually find these other models that he mentioned. I'm on page 12 of their store, <laughs> and I'm still looking for these four-armed baby elephants. Now, of course, the the elephants that he actually wanted me to know about, he actually gave me the names for, but I'm finding that, and this is just a gut reaction to uh, Privateer Press, is that their stuff is very stylized, very World of Warcrafty looking, and that's definitely not a bad thing. My problem with it is that all of their stuff is very expensive. I can't believe I'm actually saying that, being a Games Workshop player. But I'm looking at these things, and good God, there's there's not a single anything... Single models are $30 easily. Now, I guess you could say HQs are, you know, 35 from Games Workshop. But it's like three models, $27. Like, sheesh, here's a command squad, two people, $27. I saw something that it was very similar to the uh, Celestial Hurricanum for uh, Cities of Sigmar. And that's like a, what, 60, 60 some dollar model, maybe $70 model. $130 for uh, Privateer Press. I'm like, good grief. And what's even worse is that most of their stuff is metal, it seems. I'm still, as I'm talking, clicking through these pages, looking for these baby four-armed elephants, but I do like the character in all these models. I do. 
but it does seem like many, many, many of them are named characters. I am not positive that they have any non-named characters. And I've been told before that War Machine and Hordes is like a hero hammer kind of, you know, where you get a bunch of different people and whatnot. Um, and it's all about your general or, or whatever. And I'm on page 20 now, still looking for this four-armed elephant. But it is interesting to note that these guys are at least on par with GW in pricing. And it's metal models. For those of you that do not care for metal models, I don't think War Machine and Hordes is going to be for you. A lot of these are resin. They've got uh, 258 metal models. Then they've got 117 metal and resin, which you might as well just call them metal models because, I mean, usually what it is, it's it's the bulk metal and then you just glue on the resin. So uh, they're talking nearly 400 metal models and they've got 68 plastic models on their website. So that's um that's quite a few models, to be honest with you. But I have no problem with metal whatsoever. I actually kind of like metal. But I do know there's a bunch of people that do not care for metal. And at these prices, I mean, I don't know what the metal prices are, so that could definitely be that could definitely be a factor here. Maybe it's the fact that plastic is so much cheaper than metal, but good grief. Every single one of these are just well, I'm I'm getting into twenty dollars now, but still, every single one of these things is twenty, thirty, whatever, and the bigger kits are extremely expensive. So Overall, I do like their aesthetic they have going on in hordes, at least, is which is what I'm looking through. But uh, it doesn't. It's almost too stylized for my liking. It's almost too World of Warcrafty, where GW, as though even though their proportions may not be 100% realistic, at least they've got a somewhat realistic look. Where these are extremely. Almost cartoony. I guess you could probably say cartoony. In the meantime, I can't find the models that he had mentioned prior, so I'm going to stop looking. I'm on page uh, 25 and cannot find them. So, uh, overall, I'm going to now review Privateer Press models just because I'm here. Overall, they look nice. They're pretty expensive, and metal is a real downer. Not necessarily for me, but a lot of these models I would want to make warbands out of for Brutality. And the cooler looking models, I'm sure, are characters, and none of them are less than $17, $20. So, whereas like GW could kitbash some things out of a unit that you paid for, uh, these, this is just, it might actually net out to be more expensive than GW. Now, I'm pretty positive that Hordes and War Machine is a smaller unit size than uh, Games Workshop. So, it might all just be a wash, but. Eh, it's not exactly my cup of tea. I definitely could see using some of these in Brutality. I probably won't, but I could see someone doing that. And um, Andrew, I know, has already used Horde stuff in Brutality before because I've seen him do it. And uh, those models look really cool, but, you know, for the price point. I believe he paid, uh, he played uh, Hordes in War Machine prior. And, of course, in my local community, there is basically no existence of Hordes or War Machine. I'm curious if it's died out. I mean, clearly it hasn't fully died out because their website has, you know, 700 or 600 models on it. But I'm I'm curious where it is. And I've actually Googled that previously um, a year or two ago. And I'm like, is War Machine and Hordes, is that like dead or what? 
and I really could not find a definitive answer. It's really hard to tell like what sales numbers or whatever are. So anyway, sorry if I've been rambling on this, but uh, overall, I did like the agonized baby elephant. So that was a want that for that. Overall, I'm very mixed for uh, Privateer Press. So I'm going to give it the benefit of a doubt and say I do want that just in general. But mm, I don't know. They seem seeming pretty pricey. All right, let's go on to the next segment. Sorry if I rambled. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Welcome to Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and just like with the Want That or Want That Not, today is actually spurred on by an email. Isn't that interesting? I got both of these, and they're both pertaining to last week in some fashion, so I figured I should just get them out of the way now. And this is the second email that I got this week for the podcast, and it's from our old buddy, Leroy Jenkins, the one that emailed us a cry for help last week on the 69-second button on the microwave. He writes, Hey P, that was a great article. My take is that nerds are awkward... Hold on, I should... If you guys didn't listen to the last episode, I read one of my Satirio articles that was pretty much banned from Bell of Lost Souls. They had it up for like a week, I mean, like a day or two, but then they took it down. And it was my satirical take on the whole feminism and 40K thing. I thought it was clever. It's one of my favorites. But anyway, that's what he's talking about, so... That was a great article. My take is that nerds are awkward whether they are interacting with males or females or non-binaries. I'm not going to name names, but some people don't comprehend social situations and can't foresee that sending emails about microwave buttons isn't appropriate. (laughs) I think a lot of us are introverts, so it doesn't matter who is showing up to our group. A lot of us will hang back and not be super social, and when we are, it'll be awkward interactions no matter the gender of the other person. On another note... Shouldn't eBay have an auto-bid 6969 button? $69.69? Do you think... <laughs> then, he, then he switches gears again. I don't know if this is a sign he's back on the meds or he's really off the meds. He was probably abusing a cat corpse while he wrote this. Do you think min-max is a lifestyle or just a way to play Warhammer? What do you think the difference between whack players and just really good players are? Sportsmanship? No spamming units? Reach-arounds? <laughs> that one that one caught me off guard and that's just the end of the article he didn't even sign off he's just he just ends with the word reach arounds so that's this is the clientele that i attract to this podcast so the reason why i made this real talk with the pimp cron is because he actually brought up amidst all the nonsense that he spewed right here in this email he did bring up a really good point what do you what do you deem as a whack player And what is the difference between a whack player and just a really good player? Well, as usual, Pimpcron has the answers. So to really define a whack player in my eyes, I have to go through all the different elements of a whack player and a good player and see how they compare and contrast. Okay? I'm not going to try to beat a dead horse here, but I think they do need to be explained. So, one of the first things that comes to mind is bringing a very powerful list that is probably spurred on by the meta. A good player can certainly bring that. Especially let's let's take tournaments out of the equation because I really feel like tournaments are kind of a different beast. You're trying harder than normal in a tournament. It's not just a casual game. And let's be honest, most of us play mostly casual games, not competitive games. Or I should say tournament games. 
Um, all games are obviously competitive to a certain degree. So, um, bringing a, like, whatever the new hotness list is, is not necessarily a power gaming thing. And just like everything in life, it's relative. So, a whack player is going to win at all costs, and all he wants to take is the most efficient list, probably, that he found online, or maybe he made for himself. And he is going to try his hardest to win. A good player is going to do more or less the same thing. He's going to try to win, and that's kind of that, right? And, of course, if you're trying to win, then you're going to probably take the best list or whatever, the best list you can find, the best list you can make, whatever. Now, there's a caveat to this. Um, if you are just buying into an army that is the new hotness, and I mean, like, seriously the new hotness, you heard that Drakari is the new hotness now, and you hurry up and buy a Drakari army, and you just buy the special list that's super awesome. That, to me, is a whack player. I don't see skilled players actually doing that. I don't see a skilled player going, oh, let me hop on this gravy train. Like, there's, I just don't see that. Of course, it does blur the lines because whack players can be good players. So that's, this is kind of like, uh, you know, hamsters are mammals, but not all mammals are hamsters, right? Um, <laughs> it's like, it's hard to define. But I would definitely say one of the key elements of a whack player is jumping on the meta train. It's one thing if you already owned the army and here's a good list or a good build or whatever and you're going to use it, okay. But it's another thing entirely to go out and buy the new hot list, hotness all the time. Now, here's another caveat to it. This is such a multifaceted issue. If you already had your eyes set on this army and now they come out with a strong book and then you decide to pull the trigger because it's a strong book, can you really be blamed for that? I mean, not necessarily. Me personally, I always shy away from whatever's the new hotness. When Necrons first came out and everyone was playing Necrons, I didn't play them anymore. Just because I didn't, at the time, I thought they were pretty powerful. In, what, 7th edition, when the Decurion Detachments came out, and Necrons were the first one to get the Decurion Detachment, it was baller, and I just quit playing Necrons. Because I just didn't want to... I want to win because of me. I'm sure you've all heard that many, many times. I want my skill to win the game. Not any of the arbitrary rules GW makes for a unit. You know, like, oh, last edition it did one damage. This edition it does a million damage. Oh, well, I, I gotta take that now. Because they just said it does a million damage. You don't have to use it any more... You don't have to use it better. You just get the benefit. And to me, that's like a, it's kind of a cop-out. It's kind of strange. So if you are jumping on the meta and chasing the meta and buying new armies because they're good, you, in my opinion, are a whack player. It doesn't mean you're not also a good player, but you are definitely a win-at-all-cost player. Another big portion of this situation, and it might actually be the biggest portion, is fun. So... Even when you say taking a good list, right, there are also caveats to a quote-unquote good list. Sometimes Games Workshop craps out some sort of rule set or rules interaction that they probably never foresaw being an issue, and then all of a sudden it becomes physically unfun to play against. For instance, um, when a Tau player, I don't know if they can really do that anymore with this new codex, but the when the Tau players could take, you know, 40 drones 
and every single damage you I did a million damage in one shot to this Riptide and oh yeah the drone just takes one mortal I'm like oh okay that's not fun at all like not in the very least that was a real feel bad situation um and there's mul- there's been obviously countless feel bad situations over the years as GW doesn't foresee things being an issue so when you f- it's one thing to play it once and go oh crap this sucks right it's another thing to bring it every single week Yes, it may be the best thing to do right now. Yes, it may be the new hotness, whatever. And yes, you may be a good player. But if you can visibly see your opponent not having fun, or you're having fun at the expense of the other player, well, that is a win-at-all-cost player in in my book. Uh, Because a win-at-all-cost player means exactly that. They are not playing for fun. Their fun is directly predicated on whether or not they win. Their fun is not predicated on whether or not you guys were laughing it up, having a good time, chummy with each other, you know, letting each other do stuff when you forget, you know, oh man, I forgot, I've got another psychic power. Oh, dude, just go ahead and do it or or whatever. Their fun is not predicated on that. It is predicated on a W or an L in their column. So... That is definitely the definition of a win-at-all-cost player. And skilled players can definitely be that way, but it doesn't necessarily mean they are. To me, um, uh, the definition of a... And I think that's really where they diverge. The definition of a skilled player is somebody that can take practically any unit and practically any army and do well with them. They may not win, but they can do well. It's the tactics... And, well, I'm probably slanting. I'm probably slanting because of my personal opinion. If you can make a good list, I'm not that impressed by it. Because if you came up with it on your own, okay, you really looked at the book and you you made the matchups and all that. But when you just go online and go, uh, the best list for Death Guard, uh, and then you just copy that list, I have... That doesn't mean anything to me. When I see five of the exact same list playing in a tournament, I'm like, oh, cool. They they found the internet, and they found the best list. Fantastic. I am not impressed with that. To be honest with you, the thing that most impresses me is the fun. People forget this is supposed to be a game. What do you do for games? Games are supposed to be fun. People watch football on TV because they enjoy it and it's fun for them. People play sports because it's fun. People play chess or video games or card games or D&D or Warhammer. All of this is supposed to be fun. So when someone is completely ignoring the other person's fun and the person can obviously not be having a good time because your 1 billion drones are preventing any damage from going on to any other unit, that isn't fun. And if they continue to do it, We've all taken a list at some point that is like, oh crap, I had no idea this was going to be so powerful. We've all done that. But if you take it the very next week, then you're you're being a jerk is what you're being. You know, why don't you modify the list? Why don't you take out one of those units or two of those units or whatever, whatever the cheesiest part of it was. If your opponents can't deal with it, then it's no fun for them, you know? And like I said, everything's relative. If you're in a highly competitive club, well, then probably bringing cheese is no problem because you're all trying like it's in a tournament. 
My club is not like that, and I don't like clubs that are, because it's just no fun. Um, so ultimately, I think those are the two biggest differences. If you chase the meta, then you are a whack player. And if you do not care about your opponent's feelings at all or enjoying the game, you are a whack player. Anything else could be done by skilled players or whack players or someone that's just misinformed. Like I said, I throw lists together all the time and there's probably a five or 10% chance that one of them is like, oh crap. Okay. I didn't realize that was so powerful. I did that just the other day with James and the, uh, my, my spearhead detachment of Necrons. And I took a bunch of destroyers and annihilation, two annihilation barges and a bunch of stuff. And annihilation barges are not good, but it just so happened to be the peanut butter to his jelly. And it just, it really whooped up on him. I don't know if I tabled him. You'd have to listen to that episode when I described it, but I, I whooped him real bad. And it wasn't because he played horrible or anything like that. It just so happened to be a good combination of things that was good against his list. So the next time someone whoops you in a game, you got to keep track of what's going on here. Did they whoop you the previous week and the previous week and the previous week? Oh yeah, they're probably a whack player. Did they whoop you and go, dude, I'm sorry. Like I didn't, I had no idea. And while you're sobbing and tears are running down your face, they're like, dude, I'm going to, I'll change it for next week or whatever. Um, If they're like that, then Hey, you can deal with that. But this is a two-player game, and I think some people forget that there is another person involved. And as I've said a million times, so I'm not going to go into it, but I really do think the rise of video games, single-player video games, or even multiplayer, but they're anonymous and you don't know who you're fighting, they breed whack players because they are going to do the shortest route to the most victory, the most efficient way, and they don't care who's on the other side of that um, cable internet line, or they don't care who about the AI, you know, every single player game I've ever played. Of course I was as whack as I could be because it's, it's the NPCs in this computer game. Like I'm not bothered. Am I offended that I'm OP in Skyrim? No, (laughs) because I mean, what what's the computer going to cry? Like who cares? So anyway, all right. Well, I think I've went on long enough about that, but those are the two key differences and you need to ask yourself do i repeatedly whoop people and feel no remorse whatsoever and don't do anything to change it and do i jump on the meta and buy new armies just because of the new hotness because god knows there are a lot of game players that that do that so that's it for this week thank you to gamemat.eu for supporting the show and thank you to my patreon patrons including old leroy jenkins god rest his soul no, I'm just kidding. He's still alive. He just wrote me. Uh, well, I don't know. He might have contracted something from one of those rotten cats. Ugh. Anyway, I'll see you guys next week.